Welcome back to An Awakened Life. My name is Reese. My name is Quinn. Today we'll be discussing God. We have a big topic today, Quinn. Indeed we do. I think a good place to start on a topic this big is going to be clarifying some terminology. So we're going to be using lots of big words today, like God and like consciousness. And I think they'd be useful to draw some lines around that. So would you like to start and just talk about some of the things we don't mean by these words? Uh, yes. Uh, when we're talking about God, we're not talking about any sort of religious uh, ideas that have been presented by uh, all the world religions thus far. Yeah, I think... There is a lot of dogma and a lot of baggage attached to terms like God that are used by most people when they attack these sort of topics. There's a lot of belief. There's a lot of deeply entrenched ideals that people have. And what I want to do in this episode is sort of distance ourselves from that because a lot of people have a lot of ingrained ideas about what God is. And what I ask of our listeners here is to let that go for a moment because what we have are... I don't want to say radical positions about this, but we have positions that are inherently very different from what a lot of people have in their heads. Yes. Uh, under what we're about to dive into, uh, the, the, the God that we're talking about doesn't have any of the human qualities attributed from religions, such as, you know, God is some moral entity who's uh judging the actions that you do mm. and uh thinks that there is some sort of like ideal way to live uh <clears throat> the god that we're talking about doesn't care what you do or um uh, whatever situation you find yourself in that's all fine it really doesn't matter god is not a big bearded man in the clouds right and there is no satan or no devil that is waiting in hell for you either is my my radical position and i like to in my my own private circles make the slightly obnoxious and radical claim that wow i am god if there is a god it's me right which mm -hmm. is intentionally obnoxious it's designed to stir people up but i think there is some truth to that in the sense of what god is is the infinite expression of the present moment what God is, is the infinite state of consciousness as a field of reality, right? And we'll get into more details of what that means as in regards to the rest of the parts of reality that we determine to be sort of ground truth in our everyday lives. But that's what God is, right? God is reality. It's the infinite expression of the universe in a moment in time, the present moment. Yes, the moment that all beings across all possible universes currently find themselves in, uh, including, if the past still exists, the past versions of yourself. Uh, the past versions and the future versions of yourself exist in the present moment. To you, it's in the past and the future, but uh, you've never had an experience of the past or the future, only memories or... Uh, something along that line, <clears throat> predictions or memories. Yes, and there, there's a useful note about time in there, um, in the sense of you cannot experience the past. You cannot 
experience the future. All you can experience is the present moment. And so the only reason you think the past or the future exists is because your brain has saved an impression of it, right? You have an idea of the past in your head, and thus you are convinced that the past happened. And for good reason. Memories can be quite convincing, quite real, and we're generally operate under the principle that time is a fluid and a path that we move along. But there is no definite proof of time existing as an inherent property of reality in your experience, right? All you have are theories. You have guides. You have your memories that tell you, yes, time as a property that flows is a pretty good theory of how the world works because I have this evidence for it. But you don't fundamentally know it as an absolute truth. And this is one of the topics we'll dive into later is what absolute truth actually means. But there is a, a dynamic in your present experience of the moment that you exist in that has a big part to play in defining what God is. So just like how time has this impression of your memory that convinces you that this is a fluid that we flow through, there are many aspects to experience that are like this, right? There is the illusion of a separate self, right? There is ideas about uh, the limitations of your physical body. There are impressions of um, matter that you experience that are sort of contained within this relative version of information. And what we're trying to define God as in this episode is the culmination of infinite and absolute truth. And the truth can only be proven through personal experience. And this is why this idea of what God is is kind of radical among especially people who follow religious ideologies and perhaps to an even more extreme degree materialists and, athe and atheists, excuse me. Um, because these idea of what God is as an infinite culmination of the present moment and an infinite representation of reality is something that you can only know if you have personally experienced it. And that is something that is fundamentally different from belief and fundamentally different from science, which I think makes it so hard for those two groups of people to identify with. So yeah, our claim is that uh, this uh, God consciousness that we're talking about can be experienced only through uh, the present moment, your direct experience right now. And the reason we say that is because uh, God is all of the possible realities, uh, every single item in the universe, um, and every experience that has ever been experienced. So what our idea of God is, which we have derived through our own personal experiences, is that God is very closely tied with consciousness as a property, right? This is Descartes' first meditation, right? The famous meditation, I I think, therefore I am, right? I, I can perceive fundamentally that I exist. And that existence is non-trivial, right? You can literally know that you exist because you are perceiving it. You are existing in that state as a matter of direct experience. And that is an absolute truth that is higher than any relative knowledge, any knowledge you were taught in school, any knowledge that you learned in church, any type of information that your brain has acquired and categorized into its, uh, into its biological memory. And that sort of absolute truth only exists in the present moments. You don't get to know 
that you exist because of the past. You don't get to know that you exist off of the analysis of the future. You know that you exist because of right now, this present moment, you are in fact existing, and that is the absolute proof. And so what God is, is an extrapolation of that truth. Right. If somebody told you that you don't exist, uh, you would just kind of look at them funny and say, uh, yeah, I exist. <clears throat> and if they asked, uh, do you have any proof that you exist? You would say, yeah, I mean, I'm looking right at it. I am, I am the proof, right? You wouldn't come up with some sort of like logical argument to try to persuade them into uh, believing that you exist uh, because there's there's no way you could possibly do that. The only thing that you have is your direct awareness of, of the current moment. Um, the order goes uh, uh, present moment, then in the present moment you can think about the past and the future. Present moment you can think about logical uh, topics, relative topics, uh, but the, the fundamental thing is that you have to be absolutely here right now. And, uh, there's, there's nothing that could ever disprove that. Likewise, there's nothing that could prove that I, I cannot prove to anybody that I exist. Nobody can prove to me that they exist. This sort of absolute knowledge, this absolute truth is, is very fundamentally different from other kinds of, of knowledge or or belief as well i think there is a hierarchy of information in this case at least from our human perspective right the there is a lot of uh belief and belief is the kind of knowledge that it, it almost feels wrong to call it knowledge because the whole point of believing in something is that you don't actually know if it's true right you have a faith in it's true you have a belief in its principles and you you generally are guessing, right? And this is the the reason that atheists and materialists sort of look at the religious types with such discontent is because they feel they have grown above this, right? They have moved beyond the the structure of belief as something that is even important. They've moved into rationality and logic, and that's great. That is, in fact, a more developed perspective than a theological belief system, right? If you are believing in something baselessly because you've been told it's true without doing any sort of validation, that is the weakest form of knowledge. And the level above that is the sort of scientific logical validation where you can individually uh, construct better and better relative theories of knowledge based on other pieces of relative information. And this is what all of science is built on. If you'd, uh... Quinn, I know you have some good examples about relative knowledge versus belief. Do you want to elaborate on those? Uh, sure. <clears throat> um, so just like you said, uh, generally humanity is evolving from uh, believing things because uh, somebody in a church or other religious organization told you to believe it. And uh, it's cultural norm at that point. You just uh, put an idea into your head and sure, that's it. Uh, then they evolved into uh, being able to derive that information from yourself, all the, the relative information such as uh, the way gravity behaves, uh, other scientific facts about the universe, the existence of atoms. Everybody can look through a telescope and uh, see uh, other galaxies or a microscope and see uh, chemicals and atoms. Uh, 
So from belief to proving logical, rational things uh, that can be stated formally uh, by yourself. And then what we're trying to talk about is, is actually one step past that. Instead of convincing yourself of some sort of uh, relative rational thing, it's uh, acknowledging that all of those things are held within consciousness. Everything that you've ever experienced is uh, held within your own direct awareness. And, and that's it. A any, any further steps that you try to take from that is, I don't want to say pointless, but it, it, it will ultimately go nowhere because when you say it will go nowhere, do you mean that once you have obtained absolute truth, uh, relative truth is sort of uh, devalued in a way? Yes. Um, once once you realize that uh, I, I think, therefore I am, and that is the most fundamental thing, you realize that anything else that you try to say about it, you say, I think, therefore I am, okay, uh, this means... Uh, X, Y, Z, right? This means uh, this can give me some sort of like relative benefit. This can help me uh, uh, talk to people better or make more money, etc. No, you think therefore you are and that's it. it. It starts and it stops right there. You are absolutely. Um, and anything else that you try to logically discover or know or talk about that's just going to be well i think therefore i am therefore anything that i'm saying is just me being here with uh different thoughts coming into my head uh different words coming out of my mouth it's, it's all completely arbitrary uh because y you can say whatever you want but that doesn't change the fact that you are so we're trying to point you towards uh, the you areness of of your existence, and and derive everything else from that alone. The reason this is so important for understanding what God is is because, from an everyday human's logical, rational brain that tries to logic its way through proving different facets about reality and trying to understand its existence is that we derive a lot of our individual meaning from that. Assuming you are at that level of rationality, if you are pre-rational still in sort of the theologist stage, then you derive your meaning from that and you get your meaning from your belief in a higher power, right? But if you're in the rational stage, you get your meaning and your belief from the implicit purpose behind the things that you think you have proved. And regardless of whether or not those things you think you have proved are actually true or actually related to the fundamental nature of the universe at all, the reality is that you derive some level of meaning from them, right? You say, if, uh, if I have relative knowledge that acting in a certain way and performing certain calculations on an exam in school will get me a higher grade, then you have implicitly derived the meaning of that knowledge to be getting a higher grade in school. And what we are implying is that when you consider knowledge from the sense of an absolute truth, 
all meaning of that kind evaporates. Because if the only absolute truth is that you exist, then there is no truth saying that you acting in a certain way on that test that will get you a different score is better, right? Maybe a C is better than an A in some arbitrary sense in a different universe. The point is that you existing doesn't make an A better than a C because they're simply different states of information. That's, that's relative knowledge. It's relative to the fact that existing as a human, we have derived this system of grading that gives you better outcomes if you score that certain way, right? But that is all completely relative to the way that we have framed it. Mm -hmm. And if you, uh, <clears throat> if you say, uh, I think therefore I am and you and, and and you just you just find yourself in this this current state that you are in right now. Uh what are the rules? What are the goals? What is the meaning? Is is the meaning that you should get better grades? Well, in my current experience, I don't see or experience any sort of incentive. I don't see any meaning. Uh all I have at my disposal essentially is the qualia and when i when i look very closely at, at what i'm actually experiencing i find that it's a very empty loose uh flowing substance can you define qualia for our listeners i feel like that's a common word that we use a lot but it is not as common in other circles uh yes so there is uh uh a qualia is essentially the the experience it is experience uh so the the experience of smell touch sound um this is this is the, the your fundamental reality this is uh the thing that the, the reason that you think that you're alive at all the only evidence that you have that there is a universe if you see a galaxy through a telescope that doesn't the galaxy doesn't change the only thing that changes is in in your mind you're now seeing a galaxy the vi the, the visual experience of that galaxy is qualia so qualia is not the the wavelength of a color you can measure or the uh the definition of any physical matter it isn't the concept in your head it is the literal translation of that wavelength of light into your experience of red and your experience of red is fundamentally very different from the wavelength you can describe it as and this is the famous hard problem of consciousness right you can measure electrical and chemical circuitry in the brain that is perceiving and processing information but we have not a clue how that information becomes the literal experience of the present moment and so that is the qualia the experience right so like what does the the color red feel like uh, a photon travels from the sun uh, however many millions of miles uh, and hits your eye uh, does that photon experience anything on its way over and does it experience anything when it uh, uh, turns into a different kind of energy when it hits your eye and activates a chain reaction of uh, synaptic firings in your brain um and also what what frequencies in your brain uh translate to uh color red color green 
uh, taste, touch, smell. Uh, because your brain, just like everything else in the universe, is uh, made out of the universe itself, which is uh, m uh, matter, essentially. Obviously, there's uh, the E equals MC squared. Matter and light are equivalent to each other. Um, but if your brain is just a, a series of uh, interconnected neurons that respond to different stimuli and re react to their environment, um, what makes one neuronal firing different from another one? And that's, that's the hard problem of consciousness. Why can't you just have a brain with arbitrary neuronal links to each other and, uh, you know, activate a bunch of them at random and, and have that become the color red? We don't know. Precisely. I think there's a, there's a note I want to make here before we start diving into our theories about consciousness, but... Uh, one last final thought on relative versus absolute truth, because if you are a materialist and you, you live in a relative truth world, then the principle of absolute truth as an explanation for God might seem radical. And I, I want to make the note that absolute truth often doesn't invalidate relative truth in the same way that relative truth often invalidates theology. We present this as a hierarchy, but I think the step from relative to absolute truth is fundamentally very different from uh, the theological sort of belief structure into like a scientific type of relative truth because absolute truth does not make any of those relative informational connections any less valid, right? You mentioned before that uh, the speed of light is equal to like the EMC, E equals MC squared is a fundamental property of the universe that we can measure. And the fact that God exists as an absolute truth does not invalidate that fact. It's just that that, relative, that knowledge is relative to other properties of reality. It's relative to other scientific knowledge. And the, the principle that I'd like to communicate here is that the recognition of absolute truth doesn't invalidate those previous claims. It simply adds context to them. And in a, in a certain perspective, it removes their meaning, right? We attribute a lot of meaning to relative ideas and especially to scientific truths or scientific theories that we perceive as true and that meaning evaporates under the lens of of uh, absolute truth or god and that will become more clear as people individually awaken to it but also as we continue this discussion but i want to move more into our theories of consciousness of which i think there are there are two and you can jump in here and elaborate on one if you'd like, Quinn. But as far as I see it, there are there's two main um, properties of the universe that consciousness could derive from, right? There's either consciousness is an inherent property of matter itself, and the second one is that consciousness is an inherent property of intelligence. And these hold different implications for humans' relationship to the world, but as far as I see it, those are the only two explanations that can logically coexist with the absolute truth perceivable in the present moment. Um, so correct me if I'm wrong, but what you're referring to is uh, case number one, uh, matter is inherently conscious, which means uh, the entire earth, the, the core of the earth, all of the inanimate objects on the surface of the earth, 
they all have some sort of uh, inherent consciousness to them. They are aware in some way, just like you are aware in some way. You can't exactly describe how you're aware, but here it is. How can you describe the color red to a blind person? You can't do it. You're just having an experience, some some uh, completely indescribable experience that you have no idea what it is. Uh, so like a hammer would have that same kind of experience the hammer can't describe what its experience is but it's experiencing something that's the that's the first case uh the second case is and correct me if i'm wrong here but the second case is that uh the way that your brain is organized is the thing that is giving rise to any sort of consciousness and that all of the other matter in the universe is dead. It's not experiencing anything whatsoever because it isn't shaped a certain way. It's not flowing a certain way in an, in an intelligent enough way. So the atoms in your brain are configured in a way such that you can have an experience. But atoms in a hammer are configured in such a way that it can't have an experience because there's no, there's no feedback loops, there's no... Uh, you know, equilibrium achieved through uh, repetitive chemical processes. So I would like to correct your second point, at least from my perspective. When I say that consciousness is a property of intelligence, I don't mean that the matter in the hammer isn't conscious. I mean, both of these examples, either being a property of matter or a property of intelligence, both of them have consciousness as a fundamental property of the universe. It's everywhere, right? It's more a difference in how it's structured, because if you have consciousness as a property of matter, then logically, bigger things would be more conscious, and we simply don't experience that as a as a way that consciousness works, right? From the perspective of your own consciousness, right? If consciousness is a property of your body or your brain, you should literally experience different levels of consciousness if you... Uh, lose a bunch of weight, right? If you lose 100 pounds and your body weight gets cut by, say, 30, 40, 50%, then you should be less conscious, right, if it's a property of matter. And there are other explanations for this. Maybe it's uh, specifically the matter in your brain and that doesn't fluctuate as much, right? But I think consciousness as a property of intelligence makes more sense. And when I say it's a property of intelligence, I don't mean that the matter or the hammer isn't conscious, I mean more that the hammer makes up a lower holistic level of the intelligence in the universe than your brain does. Your brain is an incredibly dense collection of information processing neurons, right? There is an, a very high level of, you could say, intelligent design in the way that your brain operates, much more than the metal in the head of a hammer. And while that hammer might still be conscious to an extent. It does exist as matter in a moment of time. And so I think it does have a conscious experience, but that conscious experience looks very different from a human's conscious experience, right? The hammer certainly isn't experiencing emotions. It certainly isn't experiencing um, the feeling of having a, a head and hands and eyes because it doesn't have those things. But what it does have is the fact that it exists and that is the fundamental property of consciousness, is that it exists in the present moments and a moment in time. And if consciousness is a property of the universe, then that has to be universally true. 
logically yes in relative yeah. truth sense this has you can like you can prove this logically to yourself right if you are conscious which i'm i sure hope you're convinced that you're conscious by this point or else <laughs> that we're not getting anywhere right but if, if you're convinced that you are conscious and if you're convinced that you exist in the universe then there has to be something either inherent in yourself or inherent in the matter that makes up yourself that gives rise to that consciousness and you either explain it by believing in some sort of soul or some sort of uh some dualism right there's the physical body and then there's the consciousness part so you either believe in dualism or you believe that consciousness is a property of the matter slash intelligence itself and that's the perspective that i think is much more probable at least from my own personal experiences right because uh if we think about the the evolution of of the earth uh, science tells us that it started out as essentially a, a ball of gas that uh, gravity congealed down into a uh, giant ball of uh, magma and liquid, the surface of which cooled, and then the the crust of the Earth then started uh, organizing very tiny parts of itself into very intelligently organized uh, organisms. Um, and when I say intelligently organized, I mean intelligent where the the goal is to uh, get food, reproduce, be alive. That's that's what life is, essentially. It's matter that has organized itself in a way such that it can do that. So when consciousness is a property of intelligence, there is this holistic property that life seems to play a nice role in. And as you mentioned, life is simply... Um, the rise of intelligence with the goal of persisting itself. And this is made possible by a biological machine shaped by evolution, but that evolution is, in a sense, still manifesting that intelligence towards a purpose. And the radical perspective of God from an absolute truth perspective is that it has no purpose, right? It is the the infinite collective of all information and all intelligence. If God is a singularity that encapsulates all of reality and all of the intelligence in that reality, then God can't have a purpose, right? If God is everything and the only thing, the non-duality of existence, then its purpose is to exist. And that is the we're we're back to I think therefore I am right. If you're, if the fundamental principle of existence is simply that it exists, you can't have any other meaning because any other meaning is self-circular. You can't have a purpose because there is nowhere to go. You can't have a direction because there is nowhere to move. Everything already is exactly where it is, and that is the absolute truth of God that we are trying to communicate. Yeah, if you are the entire universe, then do you want uh, the Vikings to win or the Packers to win? Do you want the the uh, Nazis to take over the world or do you want the Allies to to win the war? Um, you don't care. You're both you're both teams. You're both sides of every party. Uh, so, what is there to accomplish? Whether one team or one entity takes over and controls another entity, that's entirely meaningless to you because uh, you essentially have all the power. 
you have nothing to gain from from one party winning something over another party any any win comes with a loss and vice versa non-duality is a topic that we could probably dedicate an entire episode to but from the perspective of our relative versus absolute truth um conversation it's important to note that the distinction that you as a human as a conscious bubble are separate from reality is one more piece of relative truth right this is something that you have either believed or directly measured through scientific means you say oh wow i can see the atoms in my hand and they're different than the atoms of that table therefore i am not the table but the line between the atoms in your hand and the atoms in the table that your brain has drawn is entirely arbitrary and is one more piece of relative knowledge it's relative to your human form in the sense of the biological intelligence that has been shaped by evolution has found it advantageous to draw a line between your hand and the table for nothing more than the survival of the hand that line is a relative piece of useful information but from an absolute yes. sense the sense of i exist and that is the only truth there is no difference in existence between your hand and the table they both exist and thus if the only truth is i exist then logically you can conclude that you are the same as the entire universe and we talked about this in a previous episode as identifying as the space of consciousness right it's identifying as the capital s self it is everything in your visual field that you can observe it is everything contained within your bubble of conscious experience that is you and it is not dictated by the relative truth of which atoms are are contained in the piece of matter that you think is your hand versus the piece of matter that you call a table right and that comes back to the point of uh intelligence and you know uh how uh all living things they're they're the goal that has been uh propagated by evolution is is to remain alive if you look at the earth from a very zoomed out perspective it will appear as essentially just one singular little dot one singular little speck um only after you zoom way in into one individual, this individual that has been trained by millions of years of evolution in order to do the things that it needs to do to survive, um, do, you, do you start drawing distinctions between, uh, yes, this is a human, this is food. If a human uh, started out its life from the perspective that oh the the earth it's all just one singular point in the sky right uh everything on the earth is essentially just the earth uh then you would not be able to kill another animal and eat it in order to stay alive because you would see that animal as yourself you're you're part of the same entity the earth but evolution says no you need to eat that animal in order to stay alive you needed to draw a distinction between you and it so that you can catch it and consume its energy this is a very eastern principle as well a lot of eastern religious traditions have adopted this as part of their worldview there's a, a buddhist saying that i may have referenced in a previous episode but it essentially goes uh, along the lines of if you're hiking in a forest and you're you cut your foot on a rock right you're 
The hand bandages the foot as if it's part of the same organism, because to the human it is. And so you help it without questioning as an automatic response, because it is literally part of you. And when you become conscious that you is more than just the atoms in your body, but it is also the reality that you inhabit, because fundamentally you are reality. You are just atoms observing atoms. This this principle of the hand helping the foot extends beyond your body, right? The it would be like you cutting off your foot as you as you kill the deer, right? You are literally killing a part of yourself, and this has many uh, implications in regards to veganism as well as like other ethical things that are debated in society a lot. But I think that all of those morals are sort of externally projected upon this this base absolute truth. And I'd like to have a whole separate episode where we deconstruct morality and ethics. But from the perspective of this episode specifically, what's important is that the absolute truth is that you exist as God. And when I say obnoxiously that I am God, that's what I mean. I mean that I I exist and I am a part of reality. And in a sense, I am reality itself. I am the qualia. I am the experience. I am the present moment. And everything is contained within that. Everything is extrapolated from that. Whether you like it or not, your experience is the base fabric of reality. The base fabric isn't the laws of physics. It isn't the matter that you observe in a microscope, the atoms. The base reality is the conscious experience of you looking through that microscope at the atoms. Because even if a material reality exists, you have to perceive it for it to be real for it to fall into the fundamental truth of your existence that you can directly prove. Another thing to consider uh, on this topic uh, is uh, essentially the the concept of reincarnation uh, and what happens uh, when you die. Um, Again, taking a look at the earth from, you know, pretty far away. You, you you can see uh, one, one of the laws of the universe is that no matter can be created or destroyed, only transformed into different forms. Uh, you can you can directly observe, for example, a squirrel uh, die and uh, insects and uh, vegetation will absorb that squirrel's nutrients and energy. And now the squirrel is entirely uh made out of or yeah entirely inside of other organisms so what happens when you die first of all your brain stops working it stops sending uh electrical impulses to other parts of the brain but that doesn't mean it's not still made out of the same matter and chemicals and it doesn't mean that those matter and chemicals stop behaving the way that they did before uh other animals can, you know, eat and absorb those chemicals, and those chemicals will act the same exact way inside of that other animal, uh, but just serve a different function. Um, so, uh, the surface of the Earth is just continuously, uh, you know, creating these these living beings. Those living beings are being transformed into other living beings, and the cycle just keeps going. So in terms of reincarnation, uh, is that the case? Well, kind of. It's kind of the case. I am uh, all of, I'm the reincarnation of all of the animals I've eaten, all of the plants that I've eaten. eaten. 
I'm literally made out of those things now. Uh, the, uh, all of those things from all over the world. And now f corn is conscious. It's conscious in the sense that it is fueling the energy that my brain needs in order to uh, power my action potentials in my brain. I find it funny that you could have picked any food to be the fuel for your intelligence and you just picked corn. <laughs> it's a good band. <laughs> but you're right. And the idea of reincarnation is one that I think a lot of theology and religion gets stuck on, especially Eastern ones, because the perspective of that you just described where the consciousness is tied to either the the matter or the information, the intelligence of the matter, right? It's, it's tied to some inherent property of reality that is separate from the relative structure that we assign that matter to, right? So you can say those atoms in that corn are, are, are a corn kernel, but the fact that they're a corn kernel is entirely relative to your perspective as a human that wants to eat it, right? In reality, it's just a bunch of atoms of glucose and cellulose and whatever, yeah, the individual atoms don't know that they're even inside of a corn kernel. They're just obeying the laws of the universe as they've been doing since the beginning of the creation of the universe. Yes, and this is why I like the theory of consciousness as a property of reality itself. And it describes your current conscious experience, I think, far more fully than any reincarnation or any adaptation of ideas such as soul, right? If you try and invent some other thing that creates the consciousness in you that is you in a sense you have automatically created so many problems that you just sort of have to invent solutions for reincarnation is one example of this where if you invent a separate conscious entity that is separate from the matter in your body that gives you consciousness it gives you a self it gives you identity and it also gives you meaning then now you have to figure out what to do with it when your physical body dies right if you are a dualism, if you are a conscious entity and a non-conscious machine, then when the non-conscious machine dies, you have to invent something to happen to the dualistic part when that happens. So in lots of Eastern traditions, that's reincarnation. In Western traditions, um, often they think nothing happens, you, you just die, and that's that, which is in a sense true, but... I think it's or you go to heaven, or, or yeah, or you in Christian senses, you go to heaven and you be judged by some some bearded man in the sky, right? Yes, you, you, heaven is essentially uh, an entirely different realm that has been invented in order to accommodate the existence of the soul. Yeah, uh, with the the soul being separate from matter. <laughs> yes, and so the perspective that's we are communicating is is separate from this fundamentally because we're not proposing a dualism we're proposing in the most real non-dualism that exists which is that there it's not that there's a machine and that there's a conscious entity it's that they are one thing and the machine is being held within your conscious state that consciousness is the base layer and it, in uh Certain practitioners will describe this as reality being imagined in the mind of God, right? If God is infinite intelligence and is all of reality, it is all of the intelligence in the universe, in existence, then for it to exist at all and to 
take any certain form that we can attribute descriptions to, it is quite literally being imagined inside of consciousness by God. If we're going with uh, matter is inherently conscious, then that, of course, means that the entire universe is conscious. That means there's a 100% chance that you find yourself in, in this particular body at this particular time, uh, even though there are billions and billions of other galaxies that you could have found yourself in. If God is, is consciousness and in all of the galaxies then of course of course you find yourself here because you find yourself here and there and everywhere else there's there's a 100% chance nothing is missed everything is completely encapsulated by god god is everything the universe is everything you're conscious you're part of the universe everything is conscious yeah which uh can also give a little bit of uh not necessarily an answer, but a clue as to what happens uh, when you die or what will happen when the earth is uh, consumed by the flames of the sun in a billion years or so. It's just going to keep being exactly the way that it was, just infinite consciousness taking infinite forms. In our last episode, we talked a lot about the bubble, right? It's the bubble of your conscious experience. And in many senses, this is the conscious bubble of your individual experience as a human is both infinite and limited because it's limited in the sense that you don't get to experience reality from a different perspective. You are looking out of your eyes in a sense. Your conscious bubble is shaped by the mold of the human brain that it inhabits. And the conscious theory of intelligence is an explanation for this. And it's why I, I like this as my a good way to think about the, how reality works in terms of hierarchy, right? Because your brain is a holon. And what I mean by holon is it is an intelligent structure that is made up of many, perhaps an infinite number of sub-intelligences, right? Your brain is made up of subsections. First of all, the right and left hemisphere. It's two parts that are talking to each other. It's also made up of many sub-areas and many sub-systems that interact with each other. Those are sub-intelligences that are doing their own thing and processing their own information. And those are made up of smaller and smaller neural circuits. There's many cortical columns in your, in your, uh, your cortex. And each of those is made up of individual neurons that are making their own decisions as to whether or not to fire. All of your action potentials in your brain are individual d decisions made by neurons that form intelligent structures. You can use the analogy of computers as well. Your computer is a holon. It has many different parts. It has a CPU, it has RAM, it has a GPU. These are all performing individual calculations and interacting with each other. Those are each made up of smaller and smaller circuits until you get down to transistors that are processing individual electrical signals and doing logic. And even down beyond that, the individual atoms in a transistor have to interact with each other in certain ways to communicate that electricity. And it's difficult to measure below that, but the, the quarks in those atoms are interacting in intelligent ways as well. And my point here is that intelligence goes all the way down. And my proposal is that the conscious bubble that is experienced is defined by your holon of intelligence. And the reason that humans are more conscious than animals or uh, inanimate states of matter is simply that they are higher on the intelligence holon hierarchy. It encapsulates more of the intelligence that is inherent in the universe 
inside your brain than is contained within the head of a hammer. And the radical proposal of this is that as you can go down the whole on hierarchy, you can also go up the whole on hierarchy. You as a human are part of a society. Is that society intelligent? Is that society conscious? I would argue it is. But it's not conscious in a way we can directly perceive because it's higher on this holistic hierarchy of intelligent consciousness that reality is made out of. And you can extrapolate this hierarchy all the way up until you get to God, which is infinite intelligence. It is all of the intelligence in the universe on an infinite scale. And so what does it mean to be God, to be infinitely conscious, is to be infinitely intelligent. And when I say that um, abashedly I am God, what I mean is not that I am the entirety of God, but I am a conscious, holistic part of that intelligence. I have my own bubble of consciousness that exists as a part of it, as a part of reality. And I think that's something special and something inherent in my existence. So atoms exist. Every single atom in the universe exists. And you could say that it has its own life, its own trajectory across fourth dimensional space time. Uh, and and uh, just like you said with the the holistic uh, layers of intelligence. <clears throat> is an individual atom intelligent? Is it is an individual atom experiencing itself? Uh, is an individual neuron experiencing itself? I would say yes. Right. I would say but, it, that experience would look very different than your experience as a human, but it does have an experience because it exists, and I think experience is a fundamental property of existing. Right. So if an individual atom has experience uh, and you as an individual have an experience and you are made out of these atoms, then that means that you are uh, all of the atoms in your body that just happen to be configured in, in, in this particular way. Uh, so it, it's, if, you, if you look at an individual atom, what would that experience look like? I have no idea because... I'm a whole bunch of atoms put together. I can tell you what a whole bunch of atoms put together feels like. Um, and it's the, it's the arrangement and configuration uh, among the atoms, between the atoms, that matters. It's, I think it's uh, important to say that, that you could know what being an individual atom feels like. You just have to die. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you probably wouldn't get, be able to get put back together and through know what it feels like to be a bunch of atoms again after that but if you're curious enough <laughs> and then and then you would forget because uh being an individual atom wouldn't leave a lasting impression on your brain that you could recall but while you're an atom sure your but your present it's, moment it's way... of an atom would be as rich and as real as your experience of being a big collection of atoms shaped like a human right as is the case, you are the individual atoms, and you are the atoms put together, and you are uh, your individual neurons. It, does a single neuronal firing feel like anything? Well, probably, uh, because all of the neuronal firings put together, encapsulated inside of your brain, feels like something. Uh, so it's really the communication between the neurons that generates this uh, more intelligent uh system of uh kinds of experience uh and to extrapolate that to 
society, you are an individual human made out of these neurons, made out of these atoms. The society is made out of these humans. And it's the communication between the humans that makes the society in the same way that it's the communication between the neurons in your brain that make you an individual. And it's, it's the interaction between the earth orbiting around the sun that uh, contributes to the making of our solar system. And it's our, it's our solar system orbiting around uh, the Milky Way galaxy, along with all of the other uh, galaxies which are in communication or gravitational attraction with each other. And that extends out to all of the superclusters in the universe as well. It's a useful analogy to use that, intelli- or that, that intelligence or information processing hierarchy to understand conscious perspectives. Because as you mentioned before, if... If you have a billion humans and you put them in a society and they're all interacting with each other constantly and talking to each other and communicating information and ultimately like being intelligent, then you have a super intelligence. You have a higher level of consciousness that is the collective perception and the collective bubbles, the collective information processing of everyone in that society. If you had a billion humans, but none of them talked to each other, they were all in their own like individual box with the tube that fed them like matrix style you have them on like an egg sack right you don't have a society they're not intelligently talking to each other and so i would argue that simply the collection of atoms that includes all of those humans that aren't talking to each other is less intelligent and less conscious than that same collection of atoms if they are talking to each other and performing some form of informational intelligent processing and because it's that very intelligence that gives rise to the entity itself, first of all, if you have a billion humans but they don't talk to each other, you don't have a society. It doesn't exist. And the reason it doesn't exist is because it isn't conscious, right? Because to be conscious is to exist. That's our first fundamental principle, right? You you think, therefore, you are. You can individually prove and validate your own existence because you are conscious. It's a property of existence. And so if your billion humans aren't talking to each other, you literally don't have a society because it doesn't exist because it isn't conscious. Right. Because uh, also the society is the collective impression. Every, every individual has an idea about every other individual has an idea about society. That's what makes the society is, is uh, everybody's perceptions and interactions with everybody else. Uh, so just like you said, if you, if you isolate every human, there goes your society. If you isolate every atom, there goes your human. Uh, so an atom just sitting out in space, that's not a human because it isn't in communication with any other atoms. Even if you had every atom that makes up a human, if you took away their ability to interact with each other, that's where you would lose the human, right? You would but not- where does the consciousness go then? If you separate all of the atoms of a human. If, an, if a human is made up of X number of atoms and you split those atoms into individual boxes that can't talk to each other, then you have X number of smaller pieces of consciousness that are all, they all still exist. They're all still conscious, but they don't make up any higher consciousness of that structure anymore. They're still right. made the up. The only thing that they lose is the higher order of intelligence of communication. Yes, but it's important to notice that they still exist, which means that they're still being imagined by the mind of God. They still exist as part of God because God is 
the infinite collection of everything, of all intelligence, which includes even the small little bits of the atoms. So you may lose the middle stages, but ultimately it all gets, in a sense, recombined into the mind of God. But yeah, but it's already all combined. Uh, the only thing, the only thing that humans really struggle with is, uh, is 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 figuring out that oh, it's already all been infinitely interconnected this entire time, yeah. and it was only my perception that I was not the entirety of it that was wrong. Yeah, and I think this is a good place to start tying our conclusions back together into a coherent picture because. We we make bold claims in this podcast that being an awakened leads to a better life. And we've already talked about what awakening is and how to get there and why you should care. Maybe not necessarily as much how to get there, but we, we've discussed some, some techniques, right? And our claims here are that this is a better way to live. And this is a good example of that, is to live... In this perspective, which is not a belief, it's important to note that a lot of uh, culty religious things can come from trying to get you to believe different things that might advantage one person or another. But what I really want for people isn't to believe that God is this thing or to believe that God is real at all. What I want is for you to awaken to the fact that it is already true. And I don't want you to do that because it is beneficial to me. I don't want you to do that because it, even it's beneficial to you. It doesn't matter if you awaken to what God is, right? You, you already right. exist. Billions of people have already lived their lives not caring at all about the nature of the universe. Yeah, and the reality is that even if you don't awaken to what God is for your whole life, your atoms will eventually stop being a coherent conscious entity and devolve back into being smaller subsets of intelligence that are atoms. And then those atoms might get combined into a new human or a different form of life or even just floating aimlessly through space that will still be part of the mind of God. And it doesn't really matter if you awaken to that or not. My claim is only that if you did awaken to it, you would be slightly more content and happy in life. And you might have more tools to observe your reality more deeply. And to think consciously well, for, about it. For me, it's been a lot more than slightly. This has completely <laughs> changed my life. <laughs> I would, for the better. I would generally agree with that. I think that this has very much improved my quality of life. And there's, I think it was Nietzsche who said that humans are radically free. And to be radically free is terrifying. And... <laughs> We as humans spend our entire lives imposing limits on ourselves to avoid the scary truth that we have no limits. <laughs> the yes, the ultimately terrifying reality that you can become directly conscious of despite feeling your existence is that you can do whatever you want. And there is literally no limit to reality that you cannot imagine your way out of. And I don't mean that in a sort of wishy-washy metaphysical like like a feel-good sense right i'm not trying to comfort you i it is literally true that most of the most if not all of the limits that we perceive in our society that we convince ourselves are real are entirely self-imposed because we live in a world where you could you could kill yourself tomorrow that's the reality and i'm not advocating that for that to be clear but that is how radically free you are. You are so free, so unimposed by the restrictions of a higher power 
that you could literally just dissolve back into your component parts and nothing about reality would care. And that's terrifying. And you can either be nihilistic about that or you can find it beautiful. There are multiple perspectives that our human brains are capable of processing. But <laughs> that radical freedom is useful if you can tolerate it, right? It's inherently scary, but humans are known for pushing their boundaries, right? We thrive on exploring the unknown and right. the most the most uh, extreme format of that is the radical freedom that is already inherent in your conscious experience. Yes. Uh, what, what's that one song where it's like, if you could make any choice in the whole world right now, what would it be? <laughs> <laughs> That's the kind of freedom that we're talking about because you find yourself in this particular situation. You can do anything you want from here. You, you, you're already here. You can start making your way towards anything that song is infinite zone by post animal by the way i won't put it on the <laughs> podcast for copyright reasons but i would encourage people to listen to it it's a great song <laughs> and yeah that's all i wanted to say about that yeah so what i propose is not that you believe in a god or that you agree with my perspective on what reality is but what i want is for you to become awakened because awakening to these these uh these absolute truths will lead you to a better life an awakened life and that's the life that i try and live and i would appreciate it if everyone else lived it too that's my expression of love towards reality and towards myself and so a life that you choose how you want to live because you have the infinite freedom to do so exactly thank you for this conversation today quinn you as well, Reese. Always a pleasure. It is. I will see all of our listeners back on our next session where I don't really know what we're going to talk about next time, but I'm sure it'll be fascinating. So please tune in. Yes. All right. Thank you all for listening. This has been An Awakened Life. Have a good night. Bye.